Y'all know anybody in Florida or going to Florida on school vacation week? <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous outside. Huh? We're not jealous. <laughs> and uh, I did that of uh, living up in New Hampshire with my folks. And uh, in high school, we went down to Florida, traveled. I think from up there was like 24 hours or something. And you know, like if you've done that travel, you know that there's a billboard every four miles. Uh, for south of the border. So we stopped, and they had this, this store that was selling hot sauce. And uh, so my brother and I, my parents actually had to sign waivers for us to buy this because it was, like, really extreme. Uh, it's extreme because it's called Da Bomb. Uh, in the 90s, if you put Da in front of something, like, you were immediately cool. And uh, so this was, this is Da Bomb. And uh, we bought it. We had wait. We signed the waivers. My parents signed the waivers, and we we tested it out, like the instructions say, like if you're going to use it in spaghetti, I don't know why spaghetti with hot sauce, but if you use it in spaghetti, so you literally use one drop uh, for a whole batch. And uh, so we would like touch like the little, the little lid and touch it to our tongues and it like blew our minds. And uh, so of course we brought it to high school to screw with people. And uh, it bit us in the butt because somebody had to go to the uh, nurse's office and they had to call poison control <laughs> uh, because it just rocked their world. And uh, so fast forward now a year or two, I'm working construction as a summer job, and uh, my job was a laborer. So in a construction site, if you're a laborer, you just do everybody's dirty work. Anything that no one else wants to do, the laborer does. Uh, they have a funny name for those people on the construction site, but it's not appropriate for church. And uh, so I was doing that. I was two other people there. Uh, I went to a, a Bible college, and the other two went to these other schools, secular schools. They were in a fraternity. And so they were just ruthlessly making fun of me. Everybody, basically, I was the class clown as the Christian on the construction site because everybody was wanting to give me a hard time. This one guy was always trying to one-up me, and one day he mentioned how he's had the hottest hot sauce in the world, and how he can handle anything. I was like, well, have you heard of the bomb? <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's nothing. I, I can do anything. And I was like, okay, tomorrow I'll bring it in. So we bring it in. I bring it in. And uh, we're, uh, we're in, the, in the office trailer around all, like, the tough construction workers. And this guy is talking such a big game. I'm like, here, dude, just take the lid, touch it, and you'll see if we can. And he's like, no, I'm pouring this on my sandwich. I'm like, you're an idiot. And, uh, and so at first, I passed it around all the construction workers. They did it. They took the lid off. I, like, it's extreme. And so they did it. They touched it to their, to their tongue and whatnot. And they're all, like, going crazy. And this guy's like, I'm just going to pour it onto my sandwich. You're an idiot. And he pours it onto his sandwich. And inside, I'm, like, fearful for his life. And then on the other side, I'm, like, so excited for what's about to happen. And he's just like, I, the, the bread will absorb it. I'll be completely fine, right? And so he pours it on his sandwich, takes a big old bite, and he just goes stoic. And, like, it's silence. And to break the silence, a little tear forms in his eyelid and starts trickling down his face. And I was celebrating on the inside. And then one of, the, like, the boss man yells out, why don't you drink some milk? He had some milk in front of him. And he downed some milk, which curdled in his stomach. And so he had to run to the Porto John, barfed for about an hour, and then went home sick. 
I love telling that story. <laughs> now, we would look at the other construction workers and we say they made a wise decision. <laughs> they touched the top of the lid. <laughs> That's it. We would look at this dude that poured a whole bunch on his sandwich and say, he's a fool. <laughs> and you would be right. His actions defined him as a fool. Today we're going to look at our actions. We're going to look at kind of a litmus test. We all want to be wise, don't we? Like no one's ever died saying, oh shucks, people consider me a wise person. We all want to die as a wise person. James, James starts in verse 13, picking up where we were last week, and he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness, another word for humility, of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. So he asks this, this opening question, who, who wants to be wise? Who's wise among you? Well, look at his conduct. Like who really, honestly, who doesn't want to be wise? James asks that question kind of like the who wants to be a millionaire, that easy question at the very beginning that if someone gets the $100 question wrong, you're like, who are you? Who wants to be wise? Well, we all do. So look at the conduct of one's life. That word can be translated mode of life, way of life. If you consider yourself to be wise, what's the fruit of your life? If I consider myself to be wise, what's the fruit of my life? What's the way of my life? Not if I've made like one wise decision, but the way of my life. We want the good life. We want to be wise. May today we see this thought. Good living is wise living. You want a good life? Live a wise life. The two go hand in hand. And so James, in the next few verses, in 14 through 18, he's going to provide us key attributes of what it means to be a fool and what it means to be a wise person. And again, these two things are going to serve as, as a litmus test. What, what is the fruit of my life? If, if as he's describing the fool, is that true of my life, then I, then I have some things to consider. As he describes the wise person, if that's not true of my life, then I also have some things to consider. And so he says this in verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He, he, you want earthly wisdom. He's almost using that like in air quotes. You want earthly wisdom because earthly wisdom really isn't wisdom. Earthly wisdom is, is well, you're a fool if you have earthly wisdom. Because that's not of God. So if you, if you want earthly wisdom, then you're probably making life all about yourself. Then, then you probably ascribe to that as you just go for it. Atri achieve the highest end result, but you have your focus, yourself in mind. That's what selfish ambition has in play. So he lays out a few characteristics. So if we want worldly wisdom, which really is foolishness, then there are going to be a few things that would define us. He talks about being boastful. That's being arrogant. If we're arrogant, then we, we want ourselves over other people. We have a way in our arrogance of justifying our sins. Have you ever met a proud person that has this unique way of justifying their sin because they're never wrong? It's annoying. <laughs> and so the, the worldly wisdom would find way in their arrogance to, to justify sin. In the world's wisdom, we would, as he says, lies against truth. You know what that speaks to? Postmodernism. That you define truth for yourself, I define truth for myself. There is no absolute truth. 
That's just a way of, again, justifying wrongdoing. That's just a way of saying, well, God's word, that's cute for you, but it's what, like, that's good for you, not good for me. When we as Christians look at God's word as the ultimate source of truth, there is no other standard. He is the standard. And so the foolish person makes truth all relative. They change their lifestyle according to whatever, whatever truth fits them for the day. The foolish person is, is then earthly. Of, of the earth. That means that I look at, I look at the earth from, from a horizontal perspective. I, I, I look at it from a, from a temporal perspective. I, I, when I die, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die with all these wise things, but none of it's going with me. The natural person, the next word that he uses to describe the, the worldly wisdom, that's the Greek word, the English word that we would get, psyche. That I look to my emotions. I look to my intellect. I let my attitude and my interests guide my wisdom. Very emotional people don't typically make wise decisions. I don't want to be guided by my emotions. And that's what the natural person would do. And then above all, this is, the, this is like the little dagger. It's demonic. Worldly wisdom, catch this. Worldly wisdom is endorsed. We're in Paul, like, like aren't we voting for governor or something soon? Like endorsements are a big deal. Worldly wisdom is endorsed by the devil. It's demonic. When we have worldly wisdom, we're looking at the world from, a, from this perspective, a limited perspective. We look for our self-advancement. We look for our pleasure. I want to be pleased now. Don't tell me to wait till I'm married to have sex. I want pleasure now. So we look at it from a limited perspective. And he bookends this with selfish, with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's, that means bitter jealousy. That means I, I look at what other people have. I want it to the point of anger. I look at other people that might, that might intrude on my position, on, on my power, and I, I want to I lower them to, to raise myself up. You know, one of the first uh, pieces of scripture we memorized as a team that planted this church was this verse. Because there's no room for jealousy and bitter ambition in the church. And that leads to then selfish ambition, where, where I want to push myself ahead. That's the opposite of what God, what Paul talks about as love. Now, wouldn't we say the opposite of love is hate? And when in fact, it's not necessarily hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. To be loving is to put somebody else above me. To be loving is, is to put someone else's interest above my interest. To be, to be the opposite of love is to have me, 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 me. Please me, please me, 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 me. That is foolishness. And it leads to anger, bitterness, resentment, divisions. This destroys relationships. It robs us of love, intimacy, trust, fellowship. And from it, every vile thing. In relationships, it creates, did you catch the word that James uses? Disorder. It's the same word that he used, to, that he used when he said unstable. Remember where he said unstable? We talked about this. He says it in verses 1, 5 through 7. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Go to God. He'll give it to you. He'll give it all of it. And it will be given to him. But, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the fool that doesn't have godly wisdom is considered unwise, unstable. 
one of the most unwise seasons of my life. Created disorder, created chaos in my relationships. I was in high school, and in the worldly sense, I had everything going right. I had just won the state championship in soccer. I was the most outgoing, voted the most outgoing in my school. I, I, I knew people. I had plenty of friends. Everything is going well. I was a leader in my youth group, and then a girl comes up to my job where I was working at in the concessions. I sold her a bag of popcorn and got her number through that. She had nothing to do with Jesus, and for the next eight to nine months, my life was hell on earth because I made her my addiction. The first date, we did nearly everything, and by within a week, all had been done. In the world's minds, I was wise. In the world's setting, I, I had everything going on. I could brag. I could do whatever. And yet disorder marked my life as a Christian. Fun fact, I got kicked out of my house during that season. Because I wouldn't listen to my parents. I remember driving down the road crying that old song like, This is my life, get out, or whatever that old, old song was. Not my, it's from some TV show, I can't remember. But I remember crying feeling all this judgment, feeling like my, my pastor is saying this, my parents are saying this, my best friend who doesn't know Jesus started to hate me because he's like, you've changed and I don't like the new Jason. That said a lot to me. Disorder and unstable as I made a girl an addiction. Chaos found me. I want the good life, but I wasn't living the wise life and so my life was not good. So is your mar life marked by chaos? Is it because of somebody else's negativity? Is it because of somebody else's unfoolishness? That's possible. But is your life marked with chaos? And perhaps is it time to do a sober self-assessment to say, is it because I can be a selfish person? Is it because I can be led by jealousy? Is that producing chaos in my life? It, it, perhaps as somebody, whether it's an unchristian or a Christian, that has spoken truth into your life saying, you're not the same person. Things need to change. Have you ignored that person, chalking them off as just judgmental when they're speaking truth in love and saying, oh my goodness, you need to change. In that season of my life as a high schooler, I now look back and I thank the Lord for my parents speaking truth into my life. I thank the Lord for my pastor. And I look back and I'm like, they were right. I was the foolish idiot. But in the season, in that moment, I didn't think that. So who have you possibly written off? Have you written off an organization that maybe confronted you with truth? Maybe they did do it lovingly, and you just didn't want to hear what they had to say. So those are the, the attributes of foolishness. If good living is wise living, we looked at the attributes of foolishness, and then what are the attributes of wisdom? That's the fun part. Let's talk about the good stuff. What, what would mark wise living that we all should achieve and want? He says, but the wisdom... From above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The end result of wisdom is great relationships. That's fun. Wisdom is pleasing God. Living the good life is pleasing God. We live with wisdom, we live the good life.
what we looked at in James. You want the good life? Ask God. He'll give it to you generously. It's a prayer that God will never say no to. If you feel like relatively foolish, if you feel like you just don't know, seek God. God, give me wisdom. He'll give it to you generously. So perhaps he has. What are you doing about it? How, how are you applying that truth? Have you sought him out through prayer? Have you sought his word? Because when we seek God for wisdom, that word meekness is also hum, uh, humility. Isn't that a sense of humility? Where we would go before God and say, God, I don't know what to do. God, my way of life isn't cutting it. God, I need you. That's a humble place to be to say, I might be wrong. And so, God, I'm going to let you have control. And that brings peace, wisdom, righteousness. It brings a whole bunch of good things that we would all seek doesn't mean that we ignore truth. It doesn't mean that there won't be conflict in our relationships. But we'll find peace even in conflict when we handle it God's way. When we're not after our selfish ambition. When we're not guided by jealousy. That will help our conflict. And lastly, it says purity. It leads to purity. That means with being without blemish. That means that our heart is pure and perfect. Don't we all want that? Don't we all just want to live a, live a good, decent life? And if, if we're not living that, deep down, we, we know we deeply want that. So what, are, what does it mean to live with wisdom? He, he lays out a few attributes. First, he says that you're going to be considerate, peaceable. That's a good thing. That's the opposite of jealousy. That's the opposite of being bitter, having, peaceful, having peace in our relationships. But that's not our instinct, right? Our instinct would be, if someone wrongs me, I want to be quarrelsome. If someone wrongs me, I want to be belligerent. If someone wrongs me, I don't like what they're saying. I want to be guided by my emotions, my flesh. I, I, want, I want to go on the attack. That's, that's, that's foolish living. When, when if we're guided by God, we're, we're guided by peace and, and, and healthy relationships. He says to be gentle. Gentle has to not necessarily to do with humility. It's different than meekness. This more deals with yielding, submitting. Someone else might be right. Someone else might be speaking truth. And so I, I submit myself to that. The worldly wisdom wouldn't say that. Worldly wisdom would say promote yourself. Submit to who? Oh, that's so not, no, don't submit. That's a, that's a dirty word. But in God's church, we see God as the ultimate source of authority, and we willingly submit to that because we're, we're gentle people. Maybe perhaps it means that as Christians we should be teachable. And if we're teachable, that leads then into being reasonable, what it says there in verses, the verses that we're looking at. And if we're reasonable, that's a Greek compound word that means well and persuadable. It could be translated easily persuadable. That means, again, that we're teachable. We're not a pushover, but we're teachable. We're open to being corrected. That's what wisdom is. Has God softened us? Say, God, I'm open to your truth. I'm open to a change, full of mercy, full of good fruits. Mercy is showing compassion to somebody that probably deserves punishment. Is there people in your life that you have every right to hate? Are there people in your life that you have every right to be angry with? Full of mercy is a wise thing. To give them something that they may not deserve. What if you're counseling somebody? Speaking truth to them. What if they just are ignoring you? What if you want right now to write them off? Is that merciful? See, as Christians, we are supposed to be abounding in mercy. You know what we didn't do at the parade? 
We didn't walk up to people with a water bottle and say, tell me your deepest, darkest sin. Because that's going to determine if I give you water. We didn't walk up to them and say, are you currently on drugs? Who are you dating? Are you sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? We're not going to love you. We never said that. That's foolishness. We said, if we're going to be full of mercy, we're going to love everybody and then tell them about Jesus. That's wisdom. And that leads then, then into being impartial, what he says in the scripture there, that we're unwavering, we're, we're fixed on principles. We know God's truth and we're going to ascribe to God's truth. We're not going to give into that postmodern thinking. We're not going to be double-minded. We're going to be impartial by, by aligning ourselves to God's truth, which leads to being sincere. That I, am, I am consistent. I'm predictable. I, I'm going to be guided by truth. There's sincerity in my actions. And the result is that we live at peace. We make peace. We live in harmony. The result of worldly wisdom is chaos, is disorder, selfish ambition. It's being unstable. That was what was said in verse 16. You fast forward two verses. He lists out a whole bunch of attributes on what it means to live with godly wisdom. And he says that type of wisdom leads to a relational peace, harmony. Wisdom is knowing truth and applying. Foolishness is knowing truth and ignoring it, doing nothing about it. Many of you probably know very intelligent people, but you would consider them to be a fool because they're not taking what they know and applying it to their own lives. It's the lung doctor smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. We would look at that and think, that's so foolish. You specialize in that. You have all the knowledge, and what are you doing? So the fool knows and doesn't do. The wise person knows and does do. And the person that simply doesn't know and doesn't do is just ignorant to truth. And so we get the joy of sharing truth with them. I want to be wise. That is one thing that when I die, I would hope that people would look at me and say, there goes a wise man. And so last week, I, uh, I challenged us to encourage five people. You, words are powerful. Share, share kindness with people. Be kind in your words. Let, let your words captivate people for God's love. Point people to Jesus with your words. And so I wanted to live out that truth. I sent an email to my family encouraging them. I sent an email to my staff encouraging them. But then, but then there was this one group of people that I, I really felt like God telling me, encourage these people. And I was like, I don't want to because it was my fantasy football team, my league. A whole bunch of college buddies. And I really genuinely felt God saying, like, I want you to encourage them. These are people from, from your college days. Some are still walking with Jesus. Some are not. And I just, Jason, I want you to encourage them. And I was like, God, like, I don't know if you know about fantasy football, but that's a different type of talking. Like, we don't really encourage one another. We put people down. But I've been struggling. I, to me, fantasy football is an outlet. It's a way where I cannot be Pastor Jason. Oftentimes, that's just me making an excuse to sin, and so it's stupid. I've been kind of cranky in my fantasy football league. Perhaps that's why God put that on my heart. And so I did. I struggled with it, but I wrote this long message to my fantasy football league, telling them what I loved about them, what I respected about them. And there's one guy that loves Jesus, but has a season of struggling, and he he recently went on like a 72-hour drug binge. We didn't hear from him for 72 hours. 
I talked with my buddies. We thought about doing like an intervention, like flying to California and saying, dude, your next time could be your, be your last. We are worried about you. And so I encouraged him saying, I, I, missed, I missed the man that loved Jesus and was all about Jesus. I missed the man that was applying God's wisdom and God's counsel. I, I love the funny stories, but you can have funny stories without doing all that nonsense. And this is the message I got back from him. He said, Jason, thank you for sharing this. It actually comes at a time when I really needed some encouragement. I won't go, into any, I won't go on any more benders. <laughs> But I'll keep stories coming. Also, because I respect you despite what you may think. He gives me a wicked hard time. And I, oh. Anyways, I, I even picked up my Bible tonight for the first time in over a year and read about half of the Psalms. Keep doing your best and following your heart. That, to me, is a result of wisdom. I, I felt God put something on my heart. I could have been a fool and I could have ignored it. Or I felt God confront me. I acted upon it. And here's a man that quite literally, I, no, no exaggeration, I know him well. He's one relapse away of ending his life. God willing, he put it on my heart to encourage, and maybe that was his last bender ever. Wisdom is the application of truth. So as we've been going over this book of, of, of James, it's, it's, it's like almost like I don't even need to preach. We just need to read the book of James and apply what it says. Just do what it says. So maybe as we've been, as we've been reading this, has God challenged you in certain areas? Has he challenged you to, to either do certain things or to stop doing certain things? Has he challenged your faith? Has he challenged your trust in God? Has he challenged you to maybe consider your mouth, to consider your words? Has he challenged how you might be spending money or how you shouldn't be spending money? Has he challenged you to consider how you're interacting with others? What's the result? of your relationship? Are they found in chaos? Or is there peace surrounding you? Maybe you've been considered challenged as we had that tree over here to consider the fruit of your life. The fruit that I'm producing out of my life hasn't been good. Have you done anything about it? That's wisdom. So if you want to die and consider yourself a wise person, it's taking what you know and doing something about it. It's looking at those attributes and applying those to your life. Our mission statement here at Wellspring is this, is that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. We would be foolish to say, I'll love this segment of society, but not this segment of society. We would be foolish to say, oh, you need love. I'm going to ignore you as I focus my... Uh, we need to love our community. That's why I'm okay with marching in a Halloween parade and giving water bottles and glow sticks to everybody that we come in contact with. It's how we relentlessly love our community. See, I want to reach as many people for Jesus as quickly as possible. I firmly believe Jesus can return at any point. If he returns today, eternity is sealed for us. That's awesome for some of us. If Jesus comes back today, I'm ushered into glory. That's awesome. I can't wait to worship, for, worship him for eternity. But if Jesus comes back today, some of us will not like where we end up. Some of us have co-workers and friends that would beg us, you never told me about Jesus and look at where I am now. We need to reach people as quickly as possible because eternity is on is in play. And so our mission statement is to reach people. If we don't reach people with Jesus, we're fools. So we need to apply that wisdom as a church. 
We need to do this together. So my challenge with us, my challenge for us this week, based on us seeking wisdom and applying our mission statement, reaching our community for Jesus is this. Seek God with me for the future of Wellspring Church. The next two Thursdays, we're going to be at Capone's. He has a comedy. Capone's downtown on Washington Street. Some of you, fun fact, he has a comedy club in the back of his building. No one ever, like no one knows that. There's like a comedy club. Seats like 150 people. And so we're going to rent that space, and we're going to invite you this coming Thursday and the next Thursday to just join us at 7 o'clock. No bells and whistles. Communion and prayer. Because we can't meet here in January and February. And so we need to, we're gonna, we need to find a place to meet, and we're likely going to be meeting at Capone's, doing multiple services and, and having that be home. I looked at real estate. I looked at other places, and this, was actually, this is actually going to save us money. We're going to bring back Thursday night service because our children's workers are dropping. They're, we're, not, we're, we're having a hard time uh, having children's workers because they, they crave being in church and they're missing church. And so we're going to bring back Thursday night for our community, for those that work on the weekend, and also for our children's ministry that needs Jesus too. So we have things before us that we can try to act in our own worldly wisdom, but we'll fall on our face. I've had somebody ask me, how, how will you lead the church to be thousands of people? I don't have a clue. I know how to be a youth pastor. So join me in seeking God's face for wisdom. As we seek to grow this church and reach people for Jesus Christ. This Thursday, 7 o'clock, and the following Thursday, we'll email about it. The scripture talked about being perfect. We looked at attributes of foolishness, perhaps some of us were like, that's me. <laughs> I am the fool. <laughs> Maybe we looked at like the purity and, and living wise and we're like, ah, it's not necessarily me. Alright, God calls us to be pure and perfect without blemish and that's not me. It's not me either. So what do we do when we can't be fully wise? What do we do when that hasn't happened? I think Jesus is the start of wisdom. I think the wisest decision you and I can make today is letting Jesus guide our lives. I think it starts and ends with Jesus Christ. I think there are people today that if, if Jesus came back or if you died that you don't know where you're going or you do know where you're going and you just don't care. You need to care. That day I sat around a lunch table and gave everybody the same warning. This stuff should not be messed with. Everybody else took heed of the warning and just touched the top and they like, eh, hot, my tongue is numb, okay, but they're okay. It was the fool that heard the warning and said, to heck with the warning. I don't care about your warning. And he was in a toilet barfing, going home early. I want wisdom. I can't live perfectly. And so God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son to die for you and I, to die in my place. The wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth is Jesus. And he willingly went to a cross to die for all of our unwise, foolish behavior. He died for it because we can't live perfectly. And that's where wisdom starts. Humbling ourselves and submitting to a perfect God. So today we're going to end by singing about the beautiful name of Jesus. Some of us will sing that God, singing, singing, sing that song, singing to our God and our Messiah and our Lord. 
Some of us haven't submitted to Jesus as Messiah and Lord. I beg for you to do that. If you leave here without making Jesus the King, the Messiah, the Lord of your life, you will know when eternity comes that that was a foolish decision. I want to live with wisdom, and that starts with Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church. Father, I thank you for the ability to declare your name, guide people towards you, guide people to the truth of the gospel. Father, you are love. You are perfect. You are wisdom. You are truth. Father, it is my joy. It is my joy to submit myself to you. It is my joy to bring my church before you, begging you for wisdom. Father, today, as people consider their lives, the attributes of their lives, Father, would they cling to you as Lord? Would they cling to you as Messiah? Would they say yes to a relationship with you? A perfect relationship made whole because of you. Father, it is our joy to declare your name. In the powerful name of Jesus, we say amen.